What's this Heartless doing here? Oh, the Heartless came to town just recently. What's frustrating is I can't get them to dance with me. Welcome everybody to, I believe this is episode 11 of Kingdom Hearts by Heart, your favorite Kingdom Hearts podcast. Today we'll be talking about Halloween Town. It's going to be tons of spooky fun. I'm your host, Kevin. I'm the other host, sometimes known as Marshall. I say, this, is a, this should be a special episode because the Pumpkin King himself is here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of a lot of pressure here. So, uh, for those who don't know, and by that I refer to everyone, because we haven't talked about this on the podcast, but <laughs> I'm something of a Halloween enthusiast. A Halloweeny, uh, 100% in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, it's my favorite holiday. Uh, I like to throw a party every year, except for last year, of course, which was very... Like a dagger in my heart. But uh, yeah, before we jump into the discussion proper, if you're new here, we want to do a little bit of, you know, pre-gaming. Literally, because we have a second about talking about games. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't we just jump right on to Game Corner and just get the show on the road, why don't we? Game Corner! More than meets the eye. I think you'll probably have more to talk about this week, so I'll I'll let you kind of take the uh, the second shift. So Go I'll I'll get yeah, mine yeah. out of the way first. Yeah, yeah um, that's fine. Surprise, surprise! I'm still playing Final Fantasy VII remake, and I thought I would finish it up by this recording, but that was that was wishful thinking. <laughs> Um, so let's see, where am I? I just got to chapter 15, which is, um, uh, scaling the wall to the Shinra building. Yep. So we are, we are to quote in the end game now, I think, cause it, it had the whole, you know, like point of no return spiel where like, get all your side quests taken care of kid from here on out. It'll just be critical path, but I still think it's like. Uh, four or five hours to go. Yeah, I would say you still have a good... I would say around six hours to go, yeah. Really? The, the, okay. the, the final act, or I shouldn't say final... I guess technically final act. Act three was longer than I thought it would be. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing, the biggest change in my opinion, is I really come around on the side quests. So, when I first started playing, I wasn't really interested in the side quests because I... I know this game, you're going to have me go and fetch some stuff and kill some enemies, and I'm not interested, quite frankly. Yeah. But um, I think in Chapter 6, when you meet Aerith, uh, there's a bunch of side quests for the folks of Section 6? Section 5? Sector 5, yeah. Sector 5, yeah. I can't. Sector 5 slums, to be exact, but the same yes. difference, yeah. Yeah, I got in the rhythm of doing all their side quests. Mm-hmm. And eventually I ended up doing them all, and I was like, oh, well, well that, that's not too bad. And then Chapter 14, similar deal where it just opens up a bunch of side quests. So I did all those, and one thing I appreciate is 
The side quests all kind of blend together, so you're achieving multiple objectives for multiple quests, like in one go. So, like, for example, um, there's a quest where you have to find all of Corneo's vaults. Or, no, there's a quest for um, getting medicine ingredients. And one of the ingredients you get by defeating a monster, which is the goal of another side quest. So, like, it's you're, like, multitasking, basically, so it's, like, very optimized. So I appreciate that. And then also there is a decent amount of variety. I mean, obviously there's still the, you know, go here, kill thing, do that. But then, like, a lot of the quests have unique enemies that you won't really find anywhere else, or at least you won't find during, like, the main campaign. I'm sure they'll come up in, like, in-game challenges, but, like, for example, I fought my first Tonberry last night. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yes. I I know that there is the, the one side quest with the Tonberry, and I was just, without actually rubbing my hands maniacally, in my head, I was rubbing my hands maniacally, being like, oh, you see you then, Julie. I think you even said something like, ah, I'll see, probably see them later or something like yeah. to that, to that regard. Yeah, it's just like a nice way to break up the usual um, combat, because most of them are just mob encounters of like the same enemies. There's also just the minigames. There's the uh, the squatting minigame and the pull-up minigame, which are basically the same one. But uh, still fun, still very stressful. My god, my heartbeat was like through the roof by the time I finally uh, beat um, what's his face. <laughs> that that's that's uh, that's that's pretty on par. I don't think I could play either of the mini games sitting down. I actively had to stand up <laughs> and look at the TV. Yeah, that's that's fair. But um, yeah, I've realized that my problem with combat is very similar. Actually, in general, the combat is very similar to Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, I don't know if you've played either of those games. Or I guess there's the three of them. I have played a few hours. I own original Xenoblade on the Wii, but I never ever made it really far. So I've played like the first five-ish hours of the first Xenoblade game. Okay. But yeah, very similar in that you have your basic attack which you use to build up your quote-unquote meter for, like, the more specialized abilities. And you're juggling three characters at any time. And I realized that, like, I, I'm just not very good at, like I mentioned last episode, the, like, active part where, like, basically when you have to defend against the enemy, because, like, Xenoblade Chronicles, I find that you're very vulnerable and there's not much you can do to avoid taking damage, which I know is the point, but, like... Yeah. With, like, you know, the strong enemies. It's just, they can deal out a ton of damage. So, I just end up spamming Phoenix Downs and heals, and it's <laughs> it's just not very graceful. So, like, I'm just kind of brute forcing it at this point, where I'm like, okay, I'm, I like this combat enough, but I'm not invested to, you know, get good at it. So, I probably won't, you know, deal with the endgame challenges and the hard mode and whatnot. Because it just <gasps> doesn't, it doesn't click with me that on that level but um Hmm. it is fun for sure but i'm i'm ready to wrap it up uh i think this last (laughs) chapter is what did it in for me chapter 14 like it's it's definitely showing the cracks of like padding out the runtime specifically Hmm. you have to go back into the sewers which 
great. <laughs> and then yeah. there's this totally annoying section where this just random frog comes out of nowhere and steals the key that you need to keep moving forward. And then you have to chase <laughs> it for like seriously like 20 or 30 minutes. And I was like, this is yep. ridiculous. Like, why are we doing this? <laughs> this is just straight up padding. <laughs> So, I'm hoping the rest of the chapters won't have too much of that, but I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> I think there's a lot of room in, once you get inside the Shinra building. I, I, I can say that much, I, I think. Okay. Um, it's it's gives me a lot of Resident Evil 2 remake vibes of, like, surprisingly good mm-hmm. and, like, similar sort of production quality, but also, mm-hmm. like... It's definitely its own thing. Like, it's not replacing the PlayStation original because the playstyle is very different. And exactly, yeah. It even switches up, you know, the story a little bit. So we're we're definitely in a, a golden age of remakes, I would say. <laughs> there, uh, the remakes that are coming out that aren't just straight up invalidating the old games. There's still a charm to going back and playing X title and so on. So yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about remake. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you take the mic for um, a very new, exciting, shiny game that you've been checking out, I'm sure. So, well, this this episode will come out two weeks Yep. from kind of today. Monster Hunter Rise will be two weeks old. But as of the time of this recording, Monster Hunter Rise is two days old. <laughs> and it is a fun game. So Yay. I think literally since we started this podcast, I was trying to beat the super duper end game super boss of monster hunter world fatalis and i finally beat it on monster hunter rise eve so i could (laughs) finally i could finally Uh, say i did the thing yeah Yeah. i pre-ordered my game for best buy i think sunday night Mm -hmm. and it came thursday instead of coming friday it came thursday so there are a lot of People, I think a lot of us that are, I know that are getting the game, pre-ordered it from GameStop, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of issues this past uh, weekend or week, I should say, with uh, GameStop shipments. Uh oh. So, so a lot of their, a lot of their locations, a lot, I think a lot of people canceled their pre-orders just to buy it digitally. Mm-hmm. Was I think the general consensus because the day of GameStop had none, and then some people. Got to pick theirs up on Saturday unless it was the special editions. Mm. I'm not sure what's going on. Their ship, their their shipment issues, but I was also sent various memes of the cargo ship that got stuck in the uh, Sarah's Canal between uh, <laughs> oh, no. Europe and Asia. <laughs> and I I don't know if it's actually true, but I saw a lot of jokes like someone putting my copy of Monster Hunter Rise. <laughs> Uh, and just like over the ship being stuck. Yeah. And I, I even saw a tweet, I remember, that a cargo ship being stuck in a heavy trade route and having to go the opposite way around sounds like an inconvenient RPG. I was going to say, it sounds like a side quest or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, normally we can get to the fairy kingdom easily. But that ship's blocking the way, so we're going to have yeah. to go the other way, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Runs around the continent, and as soon as you get to where you want to go, hey, that route's open up. If you want to go back the short way, you can go back the short way. I'm pretty sure Remake has done that exact thing. Like, like the whole reason you have to go to the sewers is to get back topside, but then when you get up, 
I can't even like connect like what happened to make you get back to that point because uh, you finished a side quest. So then it pops up with, oh, do you want to work back to the quest giver? So I was like, okay, sure. So I don't even know where I came up out of the sewers. But like <laughs> I went back and then I like realized, oh, like I guess we have to go to the wall now. So then I warped to the wall and then it looked like where I had come up from the sewers, like the area. Like it looked familiar. So I was like, wait a minute. What was stopping me from just coming out here in the first place? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very confusing. Cool. It's all the rage that Monster Hunter Rise. Yeah, that was the point of this conversation. Okay. As someone who hates older Monster Hunter games and loves Monster Hunter World, I love Monster Hunter Rise. There's your uh, extremely short version. If you want to try Rise, you just don't have a Rise right now. Uh, uwu. But... I don't know, I played them, and I even played some of the games, like I would borrow it from somebody just to test it out. And before World, they were very, we're not going to tell you anything, you'll get good on your own with experience. Yeah. Which, I will say, it is valid as a game type, like, it, it understands its direction, but for any newcomer, you're, I mean, you're going to feel lost. Mm-hmm. So it, there's like, almost, uh, I got the same vibes when you were like, I'm not sure if I'm doing a remake combat right like yep. imagine you're fighting a fire-breathing t-rex and i'm like am i doing damage yeah. am i hurting it mom i'm not sure and <laughs> yeah so i will say that i really liked world because it made it accessible like a lot of stuff that you had to carry around like oh i have to bring i have to bring pickaxes to mine stuff i have to bring whetstones to sharpen my weapon i have to it, it made a lot of i I think I best described this to my partner. Uh, and she put it in Pokemon terms, basically. It's the equivalent of, like, EXP share or an escape rope now becoming a key item, basically. Mm, yep. It's not a resource you have to manage. It's something you have all the time, and you can just nice. use it without being like, oh, but I only have two of them left. Yep, totally. That was really helpful. And people were asking me, like, oh, do you like Rise? And I'm like, I'm not sure if I like it. After I played it for, like, two hours i'm like i'm not sure if i'm gonna like it and then i spent all of friday night playing it and i'm like okay i i effectively do love this game yay yeah i i might try it i'm just very intimidated by both the time commitment and like as you just mentioned like i my my small brain can barely handle final fantasy 7 combat i don't know if i'm ready for something as complex as monster hunter so i'm very much dipping my toes in the the shallow end of the pool but i don't i don't know mm-hmm. if i'm willing and able to uh to cannonball into the deep end so maybe i'll try the demo i do have it downloaded on my switch i, th- I think i'll actually do that after i uh finish remake uh, but i do have a very big game planned to play after remake which i'm excited about so well we'll see we'll see i will report back next week on where the dice have fallen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I feel the game will be updated because I had uh, two of my friends asking me, do I need to pick this game up now? And I'm like, no, you can pick it up. I think later this year, next year, like there is no, I mean, there's the initial rush of like, ooh, new game, everybody playing it. But I don't think there's like, you know, no one's holding a knife up to you and saying, you've got to buy this game now or you'll be a loser. Okay, cool. I think that wraps it up for Game Corner this week. Why don't we uh, take a U-turn over to Disney Corner, where we'll talk about Nightmare Before Christmas as our main feature. 
have a few uh, mini mini previews that I just wanted to chat about real quick before that. Um, mm -hmm. So I've kind of been watching the uh, the B Squad movies <laughs> of the Disney movies that are either we won't be covering through the worlds, or either they're based on you know things like summons or you know Disney properties that don't make full movies into or that don't make full worlds into the game. So yep. this week I watched Bambi, Ooh. and so. Bambi is fine. <laughs> it's probably probably the most enjoyable of the B squad that I've watched so far out of Pinocchio and Dumbo. Yeah, and I think part of it is because it's all animals, so you don't really have like annoying human characters. Like, at least the characters are fun to look at because you know they're all woodland creatures that are really cute and adorable and fun. They're adorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty much just look at how pretty the forest backgrounds are. The movie. Which is, you know, it's fine, especially considering the time it came out. Like, I was definitely trying to figure out how they were doing some of the animation. Like, particularly the rain effects were really, really good. Um, there's, like, one scene in particular, like, the whole the whole point of it is it's raining. But, like, just looking at, like, the individual raindrops and how they are animated, like, it's blowing my mind. I can imagine. Exactly with, like, with the limitations they have back then. as. I should say limitations compared to today's technology. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's nice to look at. But I noticed it's pretty much the same plot as The Lion King. <laughs> at least in terms of structure. I mean, yeah. So the movie practically opens up on the same beat of all the wild animals are gathering together to celebrate the, the birth of the newborn prince. So... Bambi is Simba, um, and then, you know, like, the first chunk of the movie is baby Bambi, and he meets a little female companion, although in Lion King, Simba already knows Nala when they're kids, but, uh, mm -hmm. we do have a, you know, a Nala equivalent. I, I forget her name, but it's the girl deer. <laughs> and the girl Bambi. Then we have a tragic death of a parental figure, naturally. And uh, basically, Bambi's on his own, much like how Simba is, because he has an absentee father. <laughs> so, yeah. And then we cut to adult Bambi, much like how Simba has his little time skip. Um, mm. There's even a very mild oh. Timon Pumbaa analog with Flower the Skunk and Thumper the Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Let's see. The ending sequence even... Is even similar to Lion King's, where it's it's set to a backdrop of like fire, and then oh. yeah, the movie ends the same way it opened, except now all the the forest is celebrating the birth of Bambi's offspring, so it 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 closes where it opened. So yeah, I feel like they definitely looked at Bambi and they were like, okay, so take this, but like make the characters actually interesting, and then <laughs> all right, we have a movie. And it's set in Africa yeah. instead of random forest. <laughs> random forest. Um, we when we got Bambi earlier in the show, I think maybe a few episodes ago, I had mentioned I vaguely remember Bambi two. Yep. And after that show, I looked up Bambi two. Bambi two, very similar to Lion King one and a half. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Bambi two takes place. 
during the time skip, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bambi 2 is an OVA of the, of the <laughs> Bambi series. Thank you very much. Uh, it takes place after Bambi's father takes him in, basically. Yep. The hidden chapter of the Bambi saga. <laughs> Coming only out of the Disney vault every 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It was, it was okay, but it was another one where I, I like, split the viewing over two days because I didn't love my interest that much, but at least it wasn't three, like mm-hmm. Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, Pinocchio took, I think, like, yeah, three viewings. Yeah, and Dumbo was also two, yeah. <laughs> mm, a pattern. Other than that, uh, a much more entertaining watch is... We've touched on it a few times in earlier episodes, but I finally started watching that there... Uh, DuckTales reboots. Mm. Boy, is it good. <laughs> so I'm I'm only a few episodes in. Like, I'll watch one per day, like, around lunchtime. But, um... Yeah. Yeah, it's tons of fun. The characters are all really charming. The writing's... The writing's really good. It actually makes me laugh pretty often, which is surprising. Like, usually, you know, animated shows are like, oh, it'll give you the, like, <laughs> sort of laugh. Yeah. Uh, but this one, like, actually, like... It makes me lull a few times per episode. <laughs> Ooh, big lulls, big lulls. <laughs> and the art style's really good, so a lot of modern cartoons look very similar to each other. The uh I don't mean to put on my, my tin foil hat, but the the cow art style, if you will. <laughs> uh but DuckTales definitely stands out, uh both in the character designs but also the background designs are really nice. It has this like interesting kind of like comic book texture of like like the pages of a comic book sort of where it's like all those little points kind of like a texture of like just a bunch of dots like kind of in a grid mm-hmm. so yeah it's nice to look at it's fun the character's charming and it's also naturally like most modern cartoons it actually has like an ongoing plot so there's some some mystery some intrigue Ooh, what's what are these yes, I remember ducks that. up to <laughs> Yeah, we we originally talked about it. We talked about when the when the reboot came out, they the pilot was available for free for a little while just to watch on whatever platform of choice or just like uh, on their YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the the episode it weaves throughout and ends with basically a cliffhanger. To yeah, the, totally. To be the underlying thread for the entire season, or the, even even the series, I should say. Yeah. So yeah, I I liked it a lot. It goes without saying, but the theme song is. It's just the best. It's one of the few theme songs that I won't skip. And the last time, like the last show I watched where I would watch it every time was probably Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. If, if you just want to start your day off on a good note, just just YouTube the opening sequence and you'll thank me later. <laughs> Although... If you don't smile after watching the DuckTales opening, yeah. you're effectively a monster. Exactly. But watch the extended version because there's like abbreviated version that i think is like half the time which i mean it's still good but like no you want you want the full experience good watch i'm glad i'm finally checking it out would highly recommend you do the same but yeah with those two out of the way let's let's get to our and now our feature presentation <laughs> halloween town i did on disney plus search halloween town and say why am i not finding this movie it's... Did you get, um, did you, wait, no, Halloween Town, that is a thing though, right? There is a, there is yeah. a series of Disney films called Halloween yeah, Town. Yeah, like a trilogy. I actually, I watched them, yeah, uh, I think there's four of them. Yeah. 
There's like there's like the initial one with their kids, and they're like kind of pre-teeny. Then they're like high schoolers, and then the fourth one's like they're adults, like real world. Uh, but I'm secretly a witch. Yeah, I never seen any of them, which I know is kind of like blasphemy for a Halloween enthusiast such as myself. Mm-hmm. You'd you'll also be surprised that I didn't see Hocus Pocus for the first time until last year. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember that, because that's one of the... To be fair, I had the same thing. I hadn't watched it up until college, and people were like, How are you alive? You haven't watched the Hocus Pocus. Did you even have a childhood? The answer is no. My childhood does not exist, actually. (laughs) Found that found. Um, Yeah, Hocus Pocus is a ton of fun. That will definitely uh, make it into the stable of yearly watches, Mm -hmm. which is exactly where Nightmare Before Christmas is, so... I didn't watch the movie recently because I watch it like every year for a while now. So I'm intimately familiar with it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I had to rewatch it for obvious reasons. Yeah. So before we talk about the movie itself, um, I'm going to take this moment to uh, administer a PSA about this film. So mm-hmm. Tim Burton did not direct this film. Shock and all, shock and all. Yes, he produced the film. So most people think that, oh, it's like all gothic and the style's like all like macabre. And it literally says Tim Burton's The Night Before Christmas, but he actually had very little to do with it. So mm-hmm. I was looking it up just before you start recording. Just so I had all my ducks in a row. And it's mm-hmm. actually an interesting development. Um, so I recommend checking it out on the Wikipedia page. But the Cliff's Notes version is... So Tim Burton was an animator at Disney in the 80s. And he had this idea of like a little Halloween holiday special. But he didn't know what he wanted to do with it. He At first it was going to be like a children's book or just like, like a 30-minute special. Like, you know, like The Grinch or something like that. Um, but he was like shopping it around and pitched it to Disney... They were kind of interested, but obviously, like, the style was very different from what they usually do. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so I think it uh, fell into some development heck where they had gone as far as, I think, Disney had, like, you know, purchased the rights to it. Or, sorry, I should say, originally it started as a poem that he wrote, and then from there he wanted to, like, make it into some sort of animated thing. But, yeah, I guess either they bought the rights to the poem or just, like, the the ip or whatever but then they were like "Mm, yeah we don't know about this so he parted ways with disney and then went on to direct beetlejuice and i think batman would have been his next movie but obviously those were both huge successes and then disney was like oh wait 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 uh maybe maybe we can talk you know (laughs) tim come back tim come home (laughs) so um yeah, he had some clout, so then they were, like, ready to play ball. But he was, you know, pretty much a full-time director now, so he was working on Batman Returns at this point. So he could not really be part of the actual uh, filmmaking for Nightmare Before Christmas. So he's just a producer. Um, and the actual director is Henry Selick, who has worked with Tim Burton. Uh, they were both animators together. So he kind of took on the reins. But yeah, he's he's responsible for most of it. So 
the next time Nightmare Before Christmas comes up and someone says, oh, yeah, I love Tim Burton movies, uh, you need to slam your fists on the table and say, no, Tim Burton <laughs> didn't make this movie. <laughs> Despite the fact that it says Tim Burton's uh, freaking yep. Nightmare Before Christmas. It's purely we'll marketing to because he was a big name at the time. Because of yeah. those first two movies. But I have a quote here from Henry Selleck, the director. He says, it's as though he... Timber and laid the egg and I sat on it and hatched it. He wasn't involved in a hands-on way, but his hand is in it. It was my job to make it look like quote-unquote a Tim Burton film, which is not so different from my own films. Mm-hmm. When asked about his involvement, Selleck claimed, I don't want to take away from Tim, but he was in San Francisco when we made it. He came up five times over two years and spent no more than eight or ten days in total. So, yeah, Tim Burton, he's basically Bambi's dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes he was there to you know put the bun in the oven and he was there to to look from the from his pile of gold <laughs> when mm. it was born and then he would check in every now and then but most part yeah henry Selleck is your guy and he would go, go on to direct uh james and the giant peach and then Coraline. yes now that that's out of the way <laughs> We can actually talk about the movie. Yes, I, <laughs> I did the same thing because I, I remembered years ago, uh, basically what you said that like Tim Burton didn't direct it. So I once I finished the movie, I, I delved into all the nitty and the gritty, and your information is correct. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And then also I saw well, it was funny because I remember during the end credits I saw uh, adaptation by I think Michael McDowell. And I was like, wait a minute, what I, I thought of what is the what's the anime origin story of A Nightmare Before Christmas? Yep. And it is it's just the fact that Tim Boom Tim Tim Burner Tim Burner <laughs> Tim Burden had a poem about it. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, let's talk about the movie proper. Honestly, it's hard to talk about this movie because it's so ingrained in me at this point. <laughs> but um <laughs> I'll start by talking about my anime origin story of it (laughs) so when i was a kid this was like one of those movies of like just like seemed like off limits just like like we didn't buy a lot of movies when i was a kid so Mm -hmm. i remember just seeing this in like the previews for other disney movies either when i was watching them in school or like at a friend's house it always looked cool to me but like i couldn't fathom like actually like owning it and watching it myself so i only ever like had it in my imagination of like just what I saw from the trailers. Mm-hmm. And then, let's see. Kingdom Hearts came out, naturally. And saw Halloween Town. And I was like, alright, well, I want to watch this movie. And I remember going to, to Movie Gallery, not Blockbuster, and wanting to rent it. And I, like, explained to my mom, like, oh, it's a Disney movie, to, like, get her on board with it. Um, and she's like, oh, okay. And then we were looking for it, and... We asked the employee, and my mom was like, he says it's a Disney movie. And the employee was like, yeah. okay, let me see if I can find it. And then she had the gall to turn around and say, it's not Disney. And I was <laughs> like, oh, oh, it's not Disney, is it? <laughs> then what the hell is it doing in my Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> <laughs> Little Kevin just got a step stool, went up to the counter, and I was like, you listen here. Yeah, let, let me take you over to your game section, and I'll show you the back of Kingdom Hearts where you'll find Jack Skellington. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, I, I'm sure most people around that time like wouldn't have thought of this as a Disney movie. Uh, it's it's technically a touchstone 
joint, which is like an offshoot of Disney for like movies like this, where it's like not quite on brand, but like it, yeah, it's still their it's brand. It's not the Disney brand, but still underneath the, the like the banner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they didn't have it in stock. I wasn't able to watch it. And then maybe like a year or two later after that, naturally on Halloween, specifically the night I went trick-or-treating, I remember when I mm-hmm. got home, it was on TV, which is like crazy that I had never seen it on TV beforehand, but whatever. But it was like halfway through-ish, so I watched the second half, but I never watched the first half, which I, I don't know about you, but I definitely had a few of those movies when I was a kid where like I had only seen you know, the later parts and not the beginning. So, like, it was, like, a mystery to me of how it all oh, started. A hundred percent. It's, like, something that's, a, something that's a theatrical film or something that's just yep. then, like, squashed. I say squashed usually, but when it's edited down for TV purposes. Yeah. Um, so you catch it on, like, every so often, but you never really see the movie from start to finish. You just yeah. end up, like, catching internal channel stuff and you're like, ooh, this pretty. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when you do finally see it from the start, it's it's like a brand new movie. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. kids these days don't understand. We were at the whims of the, uh, the half an inch per minute scrolling TV guide to know what was coming on. <laughs> oh, yeah. We couldn't just download things or stream them on demand like you had to wait and be patient and sit and listen to the universe <laughs> and when you brought up the tv guide it would either go completely over what you were watching or it would minimize yep. what you were watching to a tiny corner <laughs> so you had it was it was a game of life and death <laughs> we survived so um yeah after that again maybe a year or two later i'd finally seen it in full then it like started coming on the Disney Channel once I like got that, so I would watch it like pretty mm-hmm. regularly. Um, and then yeah, eventually just on Netflix and eventually buying the DVD and now Disney Plus. Like, it's really easy to get a hold of now. So we've come a long way, baby. Hundred <laughs> percent, yeah. I love this movie. To me, it's like one of the rare movies where I feel like it has infinite rewatchability because the art style is so unique. Like. You can just see, like, the craftsmanship on display in, like, literally every frame. So it's just so novel to me to watch it. Where, like, every time, like, it still feels, like, new. Because, like, yeah, it's just, like, physical stop-motion figures. Like, they're actually acting it out. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, appreciating that just makes it, like, really fun for me to watch every time. Like, it just feels like you're, like, watching something really special. Although, I will say... And maybe that's my Halloween by showing, but I do think the movie gets far less interesting once all the Christmas stuff kicks off. Like, like as soon as Jack um, takes off at the sleigh, like, I kind of check out. <laughs> and they get shot down by the military. Yeah. <laughs> that's something I kind of forgot. And I, you know, rewatching it, I remember yeah. slash I actually watched it and saw it happen. Yeah. The fact that Halloween Town... All the holiday towns exist in a realm where an Earth is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little light on, like, the story and character department. I will say that. Because, I mean, it really is, first and foremost, a musical. So I looked up the exact number, and there are 11 songs with lyrics, which is probably the most out of any Disney movie. Like, that's a crazy high number. For a, mo- for a movie that has, what, maybe... Uh... 
70, 80 minute runtime? Yeah, I looked it up. It's as well? 78 minutes. Yeah. So like the music Ooh. to non-music ratio, it's it's probably like 50, 50. High. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But all the songs are great, pretty much. So you don't really have any parts where you're kind of like bored and like, okay, let's let's get on with it. So it moves pretty fast. It's a really quick watch. It's easy. It's nice and pleasing for the eyes. It's a good way to get into the spooky mood. I don't have too much else to say about it, honestly. Um, fun fact, Sally is voiced by Catherine O'Hara, who most people will at this point know as um, Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek. Yes. She's been in a few other Tim Burton projects. She's the mom from Beetlejuice, and I think she's in a few mm-hmm. others. But um, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think because she sounds so different. But no, that's her. And she also does the singing 100%. and all of the um, both Sally songs, and she does uh, uh, Shock's voice, the little witch. Yes, she does. Yeah, I don't have much else to say. I'm surprised this hasn't been adapted to a Broadway musical like, I'm kind of shocked because, yeah, it does have so many songs. Like, you, you pretty much have the whole set list already. You don't have to really add too many new ones. Mm-hmm. The story yep. is is V-liked. The one thing I've been going, especially watching these older, I wouldn't even say older Disney movies, just Disney movies that are at least, like, 10 plus years old at this point. I guess one thing I look out for is, if I say wasted potential, it sounds negative. But I just kind of look at aspects and I try to think how it would compare to if you were to adapt it for a modern audience or if it had come out during yep. the current or even the modern time. A lot of, uh, <laughs> uh, mainly what stuck out to me is the relationship. One, the absence of, I shouldn't say absence of Oogie Boogie, but yeah. uh, Oogie is an antagonist just for the sake of there needs to be an antagonist. Literally like a stage play, like he's just waiting in the wings for his cue, but otherwise he's, he doesn't have much to do with the plot. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, because I feel like at the end of the day, Jack could be the own villain, his own villain at the end of the day, that he tries to, because especially in KH, and you know, especially as we're watching these, I'm looking at the plot differences, and the movie definitely starts with Jack being more like, Christmas is kind of neat, and then he's like, all right. I gotta take Santa Claus out of the picture. So I feel like you could have taken Oogie, um, you could have taken Oogie out and just, you know, when Jack gets shot down, he has like a very remorseful moment. He's like, I can't do Christmas. I'm not Santa Claus. Yeah, totally. It's pretty formulaic. Um, the relationship between Zach and Zach, Jack and Sally, I wouldn't say it comes out of nowhere, but again, it kind of like, it's like, we've talked for three times this movie and now... I will fall in love with you because the plot said so. Yeah, exactly. You got to look at it from the lens of like, I mean, it started as a poem, right? So like, exactly. Basically using like poem slash musical logic where most of the emotion in the plot is told through the songs, which they both have a few songs about their feelings for each other. Well, it's mostly coming from Sally to Jack, but Jack does have a, a return of affection toward the end. Um, well, yeah, you just got to go with it, basically. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, this, I think, like, some of the things fall short, but, like we were saying earlier, the aesthetic is A++++. Yeah. Plus, 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 plus. That's what really sells it. Yeah, like, you could definitely, you know, to your point, you can imagine more stories taking place in this world, because, yeah, all the characters are 
have great designs, but there's not much in the way of their actual, like, personalities and whatnot. So, like, you definitely do a lot with this cast. But at the same time, like, it would definitely lose the magic if it's, like, the night before Christmas, the series. <laughs> I, w- I was thinking, after we read Etches, to the, to the era of you saying, why is this not a, a Broadway musical yet? I was thinking, like, has this been adapted for Broadway? The answer is no. Are there any sequels? Technically not. Are there any other properties or media besides KH based on Night Before Christmas? And there, I believe, is... Yep. There are a select small amount of Nightmare Before Christmas games yep. that are kind of pseudo-sequels. Oogie's Revenge. <laughs> Which is yes. like, Devil May Cry, but as a musical? <laughs> it's kind of cool. I never played it, but I've <laughs> I've seen uh, like videos of it. But yeah, there's, there's not much in the way of... Uh, Nightmare for Christmas media, aside from an entire section of apparel at Hot Topic. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, not much else to say, so why don't we talk about the Kingdom Hearts adaptation? I think it's time. So first and foremost, this is definitely the, uh, the quote-unquote swerve world of the first game. Swerve world, he says. Most of the mainline Kingdom Hearts games where have, like, one or two worlds that are definitely, like, the oddball picks of, like, wow, I wouldn't have guessed that. (laughs) Okay. It's kind of, it's very similar to how Smash has, like, you know, the joke characters, and in the first one, it was, you know, it was just establishing itself, so, like, the most out-there picks were, like, Ness and Captain Falcon, which are, like, characters most people don't really, wouldn't have known about it then, but, like... Uh As the series went on, then you get characters like Wii Fit Trainer and Duck Hunt and Piranha Plant, so it'll go much crazier. Yeah. And Kingdom Hearts 1, like, the craziest you get is Nightmare Before Christmas, which, at the time, yeah, definitely an out-there pick. But as the series goes on, it just becomes a staple where, like, you're like, oh, yeah, Halloween Town, Kingdom Hearts. Like, yeah, it's it's always been a part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, I remember the first time I visited the world... Much like Agrabah, when I like first saw the world logo, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? This is crazy. Even though I've seen it already in like the menu trailer, but like I wasn't expecting to actually play it. <laughs> There's a picture of Jack Skellington. Yeah. So it was like very cool to play for the first time. That's for sure. But yeah, it's just fun that it's in here. Because yeah, like I said, most people wouldn't equate Nightmare for Christmas with Disney um, during that time period. So... I think this world is definitely more style over substance. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Um, I don't have a whole lot, lot of notes for this one, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's, well, it's funny because you'd message me being like, do you have notes? I'm like, yeah, I have notes. But also, I, I've been doing the outlines for each world. So I did it last night and I was like, yeah, let me do this. So I don't do it in the morning. Like, get it out of the way. And also, and I was going through my notes and I was just visualizing my playthrough. And I'm like, it's surprisingly not packed for being kind of i wouldn't even say an iconic world but definitely being one you think about when you think of kingdom hearts sometimes too yeah it's probably the most straightforward world in the whole game maybe neverland Mm -hmm. but even neverland like there's a few points where like you're a little confused of where to go Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very basic there really aren't any like gimmicks to speak of like we've mentioned those like each world usually has like a unique mechanic but I guess the closest you'd come for Halloween Town would be like the graveyard minigame. 
Yeah. There's not a whole... There's not, like, a big theme. I mean, there's the... When it comes to environment... No, I was about to say, there's pumpkin bombs, but that's, oh, that's only on Kirby Hill. Yep. <laughs> they're, they're nowhere else. Yeah, like, there are a bunch of, like, really tiny details of, like, oh, that's neat, but nothing like, oh, like, that's what I think of when I think of Halloween Town. Exactly. It's just kind of a plain world, to be honest, but, um... Let's start with the uh, the most noticeable part of the world, naturally, which is the uh, the redesigns for SDG. Costume change! Much like in Atlantica, uh, each character gets a new look for this world, which was definitely a good call. <laughs> um, so, like, Atlantica, like, you, you see, like, you would have to, like, do something with the characters to make them make sense. But, like, mm-hmm. you could definitely see them, like, just saying, like, ah, oh, it's fine, we'll use their normal outfits for Halloween Town. But, yeah, I'm definitely glad. Like, much like how, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and Kingdom Hearts do, they're just in their normal outfits. But then, and Kingdom Hearts 3, they're like, uh, they stand out a lot. We should probably change up their outfits. A hundred percent. So I'm glad they they had the forethought, like, immediately. So one interview tip I did find was Nomura mentioned, um, he, he naturally drew the the new Halloween Town outfits for Sword All and Goofy himself. But um, he said it was, like, really easy to come up with, I guess, which is pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, let's 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 go one by one. Let's start with Donald, because his is the most simple. Mm. He's a mummy boy. Whenever, yeah, whenever it's something like this, I just like to, like, have it in front of me and reference it. And, like, because there, there's, I feel like sometimes there's always something you miss. For Donald, I think it makes sense, because Donald, I mean... If we go to a more simplistic age, when Donald Duck didn't wear hats with zippers, Donald is just a white duck. <laughs> so I feel like having him as a mummy is representing here's a white duck, but in uh, just, I, in my term, in my thought, a different way. Yeah, because he's he's a mummy. He's wrapped in off white, gray white bandages. Mm-hmm. So not naked Donald, but the closest thing to resembling Donald without severely altering his form. I think. Yeah, I think the coolest detail, obviously, is how he unravels. So, like, his midsection is just missing. <laughs> yes. It's definitely one of those things where, like, you don't notice it at first, but then when you do, you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And even even his arm is actually a little untangled. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, guess, I guess the head, too. There's the, uh, the I call it the cowlick, but uh, <laughs> it's not like a, a regular mummy where it's like he's wrapped up tightly and neatly. There is at the head, too. There's, like, a little bandage that kind of sticks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, his feathers are all, like, pointy-like, which, especially his tail feathers, definitely give me some chocobo vibes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I he's definitely the scariest of the three. Like, it's very, uh, very intense. Maybe it's because this particular render, his eyes are, like, blue, but usually yeah, they're I'm looking, white. I'm exa- I'm, yeah i'm looking at the exact same one too but um no he's he's definitely intimidating like if you go in first person look at him you're like oh okay i, I don't want any trouble here <laughs> <laughs> exactly but he might he might actually be my favorite now that i'm looking at it up close like i i definitely want a figure of this guy <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that's good and then we move over to Goofy. I mean, Goofy is based on Frankenstein's monster. But then I, I just, I'm now, I'm kind of noticing his more animalistic features. Yeah. And I'm like, like, is this a part of this design? Or just enhancing the fact that Goofy is a dog and kind of playing to maybe like a, a more of a feral dog or, more, or even a werewolf aesthetic add-on. Yeah, he's just like a weird hybrid of Frankenstein, a werewolf, 
Scarecrow. I can definitely see some vibes with like his vest and shirt. Um, yeah. So I dig it. It's like an interesting like amalgamation that you wouldn't have thought of. So like, it definitely went above and beyond with this design. Because he could have just been a Frankenstein monster, like that would have been a pretty good fit for him. But like, instead, it's very uniquely uh, Nomura, I would say. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're drawn to the upper half, I think, but the entire the entire amalgamation of a costume, I think, it works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the I think it's really cute how the bolt takes place of his hat. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And he's got the little pumpkin nose, which. Mm, might be a little over the top. I feel like maybe they could have just gotten away with his regular nose, but eh, it's it's fine. We'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It might be a little over-designed because I feel like it kind of glosses over after you look at it for a while. It's just like, oh, okay, it's goofy and like a weird outfit. Like, you definitely miss some of the details. Like, it's not as simple and clean as Donald's. <laughs> but it could. I think so, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the man himself, uh, Sora's outfit. Kind of a trickster, devilly boy. Yeah, so I'm like pretty neutral on this outfit, to be honest. And I think it's because I'm just so used to seeing it because, like, I've seen this outfit even before, you know, I saw the movie the world's based on. So like, to me, like, it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's, like, kind of expected at this point, so, like, I never had that moment of, like, seeing Sora adapted for The Nightmare Before Christmas and, like, expecting it to look a certain way and then, like, seeing how it actually came out. So, like, to me, like, this came before I had an attachment to the movie, so I'm just mm. I'm just kind of like, yeah, it looks good, but, like, it doesn't, like, excite me, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, I was thinking, no, I was thinking the exact same thing of, like, I do like the design, but this does not spark joy, question mark. <laughs> yeah, like, it definitely gets the job done. Um, I don't know. I think it's, like, a little too... It was designed to be cosplayed, basically. <laughs> I can see that. It's not so much a Halloween outfit as it is high fashion anime outfit with Halloween touches. <laughs> yeah, which, I guess if I think about it in a larger sense, makes sense for Sora because yeah, that is... totally. That is who he is. Yeah. Yeah, like, it definitely matches his regular outfit, which is, in itself, like, that's a nice design choice. But, like, on its yeah. own, like, yeah, like, I guess he's supposed to be a vampire, but then he's got the little bitty bat wings and the pumpkin mm. hairpin, and it's it's just kind of all over the place, which is kind of its own thing, rather than being, like, here's a Halloween monster you really like. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. It's definitely something that only Namora could have come up with. <laughs> uh, hard facts. I, I think my favorite part is um the little leg bands and how it kind of, like... His, like, floofy pants, like, taper toward the bottom. Like, that's a nice little aesthetic. Oh, that's true. I think I always saw them as... Hold up. I gotta zoom in enhance. <laughs> enhance. I think I just saw them as part of the pants that... Yeah, I just thought that naturally did that. But no, it's definitely like taking red tape and just being like, what if we didn't have parachute pants mm -hmm. as much exactly. in this world? Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I like his little pointy claws and his like arms are extra twiggy in this version, which kind of adds to like the creepiness yeah. I mean, look look at Jack Skellington. Exactly. A man who is 
90% limb. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's good stuff. It doesn't blow me away. I I think it's probably the best design you could come up with for a Halloween Town Sora, so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let's let's talk about the world proper. So yeah, pretty much right off the bat, I discovered one of those Kingdom Hearts 1 details that like you just kinda miss. So in the um the guillotine gate area, starting area, uh, there's the little Halloween street lamps, and if you hit those, like you can hit those, mm-hmm. and it'll just change whichever light is turned on. So you hit one, the light will turn on. You hit another, then the light switches to that one. But like, <laughs> gotcha. Definitely forgot that was a thing, but it's fun. <laughs> it's a nice way to, you know, distract yourself before you explore the world but yeah during this opening segment there's there's that rare this is halloween like redux version where it's like a quieter version and it only plays during this part and like as soon as jack shows up so yeah pretty much right off the bat uh we meet jack skellington and the mayor basically he's rehearsing for the heartless halloween so this is the only point in the game where you will encounter pacifist heartless, basically. <laughs> where you get a bunch of search ghosts, but they don't do anything, and you can't even attack them. So they're just floating NPCs, exactly. which is a really fun way to introduce the world and kind of like get the plot going. It's definitely a very interesting start, 100%. Most worlds, you land, there's an introduction, and then, you know, the next area onward, it's fight to the finish! Yep. Or this time you see them and just like, I mean, they don't they don't say hi, friends. How's it going? But definitely just like mm, we exist. Yeah, like it definitely like I was mentioning with the song, it definitely builds the mood. So like, yeah, there's no enemies, much like Deep Jungle, uh, for the first chunk of this world. It's a much smaller mm-hmm. chunk, but like you can go and explore the graveyard, and there won't be any heartless. So yeah, it's just an interesting way to like kind of set up the plot of like what's going on here yeah in general i think halloween town is the most successful original story in terms of blending kingdom hearts plot with kind of like the movie plot but like it is a totally new story in this world which as we discussed how or nightmare before christmas doesn't really have a lot of extra media so like it is cool to see like here's a new story in halloween town through kingdom hearts Mm -hmm. so i definitely appreciate that and yeah i think it's really clever tying the heartless into jack wanting to celebrate halloween because that's exactly how he reacted to this so very very solid character writing it uh it evens out definitely (laughs) if you talk to the mayor during this section after jack shows up um he will explain that you know we're celebrating the hottest halloween and then he has a line where he says luckily jack found a book that talks about the heartless which, uh, you know, the gif of the, the galaxy brain mind explode. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is this book? Who wrote it? Where did it come from? And how did Jack just magically find it? <laughs> so I will say that there is an Ansem report in this world. Mm-hmm. Oogie Boogie will drop an Ansem report mm-hmm. for you. So my, my train of thought yep. is there's an Ansem report in this world. Where is it? How do you get it? And could that be the quote-unquote book, even though an answer report is maybe like a few pages of a book, really? Yep. Yeah, I thought that too, but 
No, it doesn't make sense, because presumably Oogie Boogie got that report from Maleficent. Like, it didn't originate in this world, so, like, Jack would probably never have come into contact with it. Exactly, and Jack's not sharing, or I shouldn't say Jack, and Oogie Boogie's not sharing with Jack. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure it's literally the book that Dr. Finkelstein's reading in his lab, because that's where he gets all the ingredients for the heart. Yeah, yeah I could see that, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. So I was thinking about it, and my headcanon is that Halloween Town is a world that definitely straddles the realm of darkness barrier a little bit. Like, it's more of a dark world, quote-unquote, which makes sense. Mm. You know, Halloween Town monsters, creepy. So, like, maybe it's more in tune with the heartless, question mark? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, you know... An ancient Halloween sage (laughs) was also studying the Heartless. Because, like, you know, shadows, darkness, Halloween. Like, you can definitely, like, see the connection. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, maybe, like, just some random Halloween Town character had these notes about the Heartless and wrote his own book. So it was, like, the anthem of this world, basically. Which is pretty crazy to think about, actually. But, like, definitely makes sense, you know? Because, like... Why should Ansem be the only person who would have these questions? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's the only way I can explain it. The more simple explanation, of course, is Kingdom Hearts logic. We're not really worrying about the consequences of story beats established in this first game. Yeah, I was thinking, this is Halloween Town. This is the Kingdom Hearts version of Halloween Town. So maybe someone, I guess, similar similar to your Halloween Sage motif of, in this world... There could be a time when people just, you know, Heartless will pop up and there's a history of the Heartless, basically. And maybe just kind of understanding or trying to understand yeah, because what they are all about. This is, I think this is the only world, right, where the characters already know what the Heartless are. Like, in Wonderland, they're like, what the hell are these things? And then, same with Deep Jungle. And you get this feeling that, mm. maybe not that Jack is used to Heartless, but, like, he wasn't surprised when they showed up. So, like, Mm. there's definitely something going on here where, yeah, for some reason, Heartless are just more more of a thing in this world. (laughs) Yes, and I feel like this is the world to do it in. Or, you know, it, it doesn't stand out here. Yeah. Yeah, so a really nice way to tie the Heartless plot into the world plot, for sure. So, yeah, can't do nothing with the Heartless, so we head on over to the lab. There's a cutscene where they decide they need to make a heart to control the Heartless. But, oh no, we've got to unlock this heart first. So, that's another little clever touch of kind of tying Sora's introduction to, this pl- to the plot with, you know, he has to use the Keyblade to unlock the heart for them. Yep. And then there's, like, a little exchange between them when they're deciding on whether or not to help them and... Sora's like, oh, but, like, if we help them, that means we won't have to fight the Heartless. And besides, don't you want to see the Heartless dance? (laughs) And Donald's just like, not really. Donald's not interested. Donald woke up this morning and chose violence. (laughs) So, yeah, then we meet Jack, and he properly joins the party. So, why don't we uh, talk about this old bag of bones as a party member? I mean, if Halloween Town wasn't your world enough, I feel like Jack is 100% your type of party member because i'm pretty sure nine i think all but one of jack's equipped abilities are just magic spells disguised as abilities yes so he's a magic boy which is very fitting because i mean 
Just look at him. You can tell Jack's not really a physical <laughs> opponent. He's not a brawler. Yeah, but you can definitely imagine him, you know, using spells and whatnot. Like, you can kind of imagine, like, he uses them in his performances. So, that was a very natural fit, much like Ariel. So, yeah, I was thinking that all of his spells are unique, but I'm definitely thinking of KH2 Jack. So, in here, his spells are... You know, he casts them the same way Sora does, where Blizzard's just a blizzard, fire's a little fireball, and then he has gravity, which is also the same. Yeah, he's pretty simple. Um, he's got the magics, he's got that one little tack. Um, but other than that, he's not going to do much. But I think, aside from, you know, throw out some, some fun battle quotes. Come on, fellas, let's go. <laughs> oh, it's no use. This will stop them for good. Actually, a quick, a very small interjection, because you were talking about quotes. I thought that the voice actors from the movie and the game were entirely different people. They are the same person. Yeah, I can I can definitely hear Jack. I think most of the others are different. I know, I know Jack and Oogie share uh, their original voice actors. Yeah, Oogie definitely sounds one-to-one, that's for sure. But yeah, everyone else, I can hear their voices as like, you know common cartoon uh-huh. character voice actors but jack jack movie and jack game sound like very different takes in my opinion yeah jack definitely sounds more like you know excitable i guess you could say which which makes sense because most of the movie he's kind of depressed but also you know this was almost 10 years after the movie came out so i'm sure the voice actors either forgot how they kind of did it originally or just you know they got older mm-hmm. so they sound a little different but yeah in either case, solid cast. So the one thing that does stand out about Jack is he has the cheer ability. Yes. So with him and Goofy in your party, which this is... I finally swapped Dawn for Goofy for this world. <laughs> but um, yeah, I used, I used summons quite a bit in this world because, you know, now they're lasting twice as long. Mm-hmm. Very handy ability. But yeah, other than that, doesn't stand out too much. He doesn't have, you know, a heal or an arrow so he's not really supportive mm. definitely stands out just for being so huge definitely <laughs> like it's it's just weird seeing him like even in the pause screen just he's like literally twice the size of yeah they do the little walking <laughs> animations and jack's there everyone's like doing their normal walk and jack just graced i wouldn't even say tiptoes but the yeah. man got stride what can i say sachets <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> So yeah, we got your marching orders. We're, we're getting ready for the hottest Halloween. And uh, I did check the clock. And this takes place 36 days before Halloween. Yeah, it's just cool to see them in this context. Because the movie, the movie opens with Halloween and the rest of it is, you know, Christmas mode. So it's cool to see them, like, actually preparing for the Halloween section. Yeah, It's always interesting to me when there's some sort of semblance of... Like, some sort of mark of the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we're ready to sort of kick off the world proper. And we talked about how Deep Jungle is... Like, the way it's broken out is... It's like a boomerang-shaped world where you keep going back mm-hmm. and forth. <laughs> Halloween Town is, like, in gym class. I forget the name of the exercise. I think, it, I think it's suicides. But when you're, like, run to one point and then go back and then run a little bit further and then go back and then run a little bit further, and then go back. Yeah, uh, yeah suicide <laughs> runs, whatever you prefer to call them. But yeah, that um, that is 100% the breakdown of, <laughs> of, yep. of Halloween Town. It's a lot of going out, doing a thing, coming back to guillotine gate slash Finkenstein, Finkelstein's lab, 
there's a lot of that happening. Yeah, like he could have just easily told us we need the forget-me-nots and the jack-in-the-box, and then he could have just gone to the next room over and gotten the next ingredient and then chop off, like, five minutes. But they, they had to pat it yeah. out, <laughs> which is, you know, that's fine. Yeah, you go to the graveyard, and you run into Sally to get an ingredient for memory. This is basically the only cutscene she shows up in, really, aside from the very last one. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, she has her whole spiel of, oh, I'm, a, I'm worried about this whole Halloween idea. I don't think it's a good mm. idea. Trying to mind control these demon monsters? Hmm. Sus. <laughs> Who could have seen it going south? <laughs> But yeah, she tries to say, like, oh, like, use these kids in the Halloween festival instead, which makes me wonder, like, what is the explanation for the Halloween town outfits? Mm -hmm. So, obviously, in Atlantica, it was Donald magic, but here, they just kind of brush it off. Like, they have, like, the opening dialogue between SDG, where they're like, oh, this place is kind of scary, but then I think Donald says, oh, but we're scary, too, so I'll scare him right back. Exactly, and yeah. Then, that's just kind of that. <laughs> so I guess it's like just the world's magic of like, hey, if, if you're going to be here, you got to be scary. So, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, they just kind of changed as soon as they got into the world. Like now that I take a closer look, especially like the original Nomura artwork, it is a little surprising that Disney signed off on the Donald and Goofy look. Disney said, Disney said, hey, OK, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like... They really just let Nomura kind of take the reins with it, <laughs> with all this Kingdom Hearts crap. My first thought is that original Cage would mm -hmm. be more lenient. There's less. It, it. De I think it depends though. Like this is the first entry, so I mean to play to play my own devil's advocate because that's because I hate myself apparently. This there oh there's gonna be this one crossover game where Disney characters will be in it. If the game has sort of, I would say, controversial, up like uh, views, like oh, I think back to Clayton mm -hmm. and his gun. Like, what have we got to lose? I think could be a could be a mentality, but also I think it could be the the exact opposite of Disney being like, you show anything <laughs> that's mildly negative, and we will obliterate you off the face of the earth. Like, yeah, like, there's definitely this idea, like, oh, it's just, like, a one-off thing, like, no one's gonna play this, who cares? But also, like, maybe just thinking about mm -hmm. where Disney was at the time, like, the 2000s, especially the early 2000s, they were definitely in this weird, almost teenage phase of, like, you know, they definitely weren't at the height of their powers. <laughs> so, maybe that's, maybe they, like, yeah. thought, oh, maybe this will, like, bring in, like, a new audience to Disney, like, the mall goth kids. <laughs> The Mogoths! Yeah, it's just interesting to think, like, yeah, you, you really got away with this. Exactly, yeah. So, um, yeah, once we get the forget-me-nots, go back to the lab, he tells you, uh, just kidding, we need surprise. So, go back to the graveyard. This time you have to defeat Heartless, and then you can interact with the caskets to then go to graveyard part two, I guess? There's just a lot of, like, just one-off rooms in this world. Of, like, okay. <laughs> and this is where you yeah, you have the little graveyard minigame with the ghosts. Minigame, quote-unquote. <laughs> um, you get the surprise and go back to the lab again. Yeah, while, I'm, while we're exploring these rooms, I think it's interesting to note that it goes for pretty much every Kingdom Hearts 1 world, but in Halloween Town especially, I noticed 
just how different the locations are than in the movie. So, like, the actual Halloween Town Square is very different to what it looks like in the movie. So it it has a few landmarks. So, like, Jack's house is there. Yes, I didn't realize that was Jack's house until I rewatched the movie as well. Yeah, totally. The, like, city hall is there and the lab is there, but they're, like, not where they should be in relation to each other. Like, they're spaced out in a different way. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, just, like, weird tweaks here and there, which makes sense to make it more of a video game level, but it's definitely not one-to-one. And then in Kingdom Hearts 2, it's drastically different than Kingdom Hearts 1, but it's, like, they didn't change it to make it fit into the movie. It's still kind of different. It's kind of so. just a bigger town square, I think, most, on the, for most yeah. of it. Most of the part, yeah. Yeah, Moonlight Hill is also a little different because it's got, like, the fence around it, and it leads to, like, Oki's Manor as opposed to, like... Uh, like the woodsy area so like they have all the iconic locations but they're like kind of shuffled about (laughs) exactly yeah but the doctor's lab is the most interesting to me because first of all it's in that weird side alley which always gives me like resident evil vibes i don't know why (laughs) but um if you go into first person and look at it the like roof is blown off of the building Yeah, I don't... Like if an experiment had gone wrong? That sounds about right. I don't know if you mentioned it to me beforehand, or I someone else might have, but I I remember this. Because I think I went to first mm-hmm. person and it was like, is the roof... Yeah, the roof's just been... It was, it's been blown off completely. Whereas in the movie, it's definitely like... Mm-hmm. It's like a dome on top of the tower, which is where kind of like the room is that Sally sleeps in and yeah, in the lab. exactly. So... That's that's a huge departure. So it's it's a Halloween town, but you know it's a new kind of Halloween town. It's a new school type of deal. After this last lab visit, we we finally get the like real plot of the world, which is lock, shock, and barrel steal the heart to pilfer it onto Oogie Boogie. <laughs> we gotta go stop him. So we have our objective: Woo! Uh, murder Oogie Boogie, basically. And yeah, I think at this point is when we get our new Heartless to appear. Yes. So let's talk about these spooky gents. So we got the White Knights and the Gargoyles. No surprise here. I'm a big fan of them. Um, <laughs> but also, I think these designs are the best depiction of the world's theme. Definitely. Because like, you know, the... The fish heartless and Lanica, like, yeah, they're fine, but at the end of the day, it's just jellyfish. And then the screw divers, as we established, mm, yes. they're cool, but like, they're not necessarily like, you know, Atlantica. But here, like, the gargoyles and the white knights, like, you could imagine those as Li- background monsters. Exactly. In, you could imagine yeah. them living here, basically. Gargoyles, solid design, flying, heartless. And yep, they've got that knack for the uh, the invincibility frames where they just disappear and do their thing, and you gotta wave. So that that's kind of annoying. Yeah, they they pull the search bo- search ghost and eventually dark ball motif of uh, yeah. I'm gonna make this fight longer. Exactly. Yeah. And most of the spots you fight them in are you're at risk of falling, so that's kind of annoying to deal with. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely later in this level and. Yeah. I guess here as well. There's there's levels to Guillotine Square, but, you know, there's no, like, I fall down a step and I hurt myself. <laughs> but there's layers yeah. like an onion, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but their actual design's really good. Um, it's solid. I think I, they're, like, one of my favorites. Bats 
and gargoyles, but then they kind of look like the heartless on the front of the, like on the box art for the game, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Yes, because I looked at that image today, and I was like, "Isn't there a gargoyle here? Aren't we about to talk about Halloween Town? Is this all completely on the nose?" Yeah, like it's interesting, like to choose that of all heartless to put on the box, like. Well, when I look at it, I could see it as a Halloween Town design, but also as like a uh, generic misplaced heartless design as well. Kind of like a, kind of like how the wyverns and the wizards of a certain future level aren't really, you know, they have no ties to a Disney property. They're just here is a heartless mm-hmm. character. Yeah, so they're good. Uh, the White Knights, also very fun. They're like breakdancing boys, basically. Yes. <laughs> they're, they're, if Jack, they're if Jack Skellington had lots of babies and they grew up to be evil. They're uh, Jack and Donald's fusion. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they're fun to fight because they're very animated and they just go flying if you use a finisher on them. So, like, they're like, just very gangly, very twisty and turny. And exactly. It's just fun. You gotta... You gotta be careful with these boys. They, yeah, they jump around a lot. They're very agile. Because I think literally... Do they even walk around or do they literally just jump around? I can imagine them with like a little strut to them. Mm-hmm. Where they are like have big steps. But yeah, mostly they're gonna be uh, jumping yeah. to get to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. They're a cool design. They have like exposed ribs. And like their hands are all gnarly. And uh, just good stuff. <laughs> Solid heartless designs. Yeah, they're very good. To add to I guess to add to this, we've we've encountered search ghosts before, but it's very funny with the search ghost recolor of Final Mix and Dark Hearts mm-hmm. Halloween Town aesthetic. Because they're usually mm-hmm. their original tuxes are kinda like this deep navy blue with like a splash of red. But uh, but now they're uh they're pride search ghosts in remix. <laughs> in Final Mix, yeah. I do definitely miss the Gargoyles original color, which is just just kind of purple. Mm. Like, the new color is very garish and, like, out there and bright and loud, which is kind of it's Halloween, but, like, at the same time, like, I like the more muted, spooky look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, God. And another small follow-up, because I, I have this in my notes. This happened a, mm-hmm. a little bit ago when uh, Sora and Donald, are, you know, that interaction were basically, like, Donald's just like, I choose violence today. Sora does have a line, like, if we can control the Heartless, then we have, like, no need to fight them. Which is... Mm-hmm. It's something that definitely I just want to Omega Brain, but it, I think it is meant to be more of a kind of a, a throwaway that Sora's like, well, there's... I don't know if it's more of a pacifist solution that's presenting itself, or an easier solution that could possibly yeah. pre- present itself, but it's a very interesting line to just kind of like... And like meander at. It's kind of like <laughs> this is a deep cut, but uh, in Day of the Dead, the uh, Romero zombie movie, <laughs> uh, the main plot is they're trying to figure out how to control zombies yep. so that they won't kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's kind of similar to that, where it's like, oh, this could be an alternative to just having to fight them for eternity. Exactly. <laughs> And, yeah, it's kind of interesting how they never went back to that well. Like, obviously, it was just kind of, like, a weird hypothesis on Sora's behalf. But, like, Mm -hmm. 
the characters have never really thought of other ways to deal with the heartless, really. So yeah, uh, Halloween Town's over here being progressive and actually using <laughs> science to solve their problems. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we explore more of the world? So. Yep, you get to Moonlight Hill, and then you get those exploding pumpkins, which, they're there. God's sake, give me more exploding <laughs> pumpkins, please. There's, like, maybe three of them. Yeah, so I I picked one up just to, like, try it out, and I threw it out of Heartless, and it exploded, and then I guess I was too close, because it also hurt me. <laughs> and that's yep. that's about the extent of how much I used the exploding pumpkins. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's no, like, I will lower the Heartless here, I will hit the pumpkin, I will run. And I will achieve yeah. absolute victory. It's more like, oh, hey, I hit that thing. Let me run away from it. Maybe it'll hurt the opponents a little bit. Yeah, like it's only ever there to really hurt you because it's too slow to, like you said, like place as a trap, basically. Mm-hmm. And then to like try to throw it yourself, like that's way too slow and clunky. Like that's not going to do anything. So yeah. like pretty much it only just goes off if you hit it while you're hitting Heartless and then... You're in a combo, and you're like, oh, no, I can't escape. Oh, no, Donald, tell my wife I love her. Exactly. So, yeah, interesting to note in the Moonlight Hill, there is the tiniest little nod to Christmas. There's, like, that Christmas tree door for some reason. <laughs> is there? And oh. you can't you can't unlock it until you revisit the world, which is also Oh, yes, weird. yes, yes, the Christmas tree-shaped door. Yep. Keep on making your way, you go to the bridge, and then you get to Oogie's Manor, mm-hmm. which is definitely the standout location in this world. 100%. It's kind of like the only worthwhile room, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. It's definitely the most vertical space. Well, I guess there's like bits toward the end of the game, but like in terms of like an area that you actually explore, it's definitely the most vertical where... You know, there's all sorts of branching paths to go and get chests and whatnot. Mm. So that's really cool. And much like Monstro, there's the added risk of fighting Heartless, but not wanting to fall off. Plummeting to your certain doom. And by doom, I mean you land in the river and just go back to the start. <laughs> yeah, but then you have to take the bathtub up and usually, much like the dolphin, it'll only appear... As soon as Heartless appear, and then you gotta true, beat them before true, you can true, use true. it. Yeah. I forgot about the bathtub because I didn't fall down this playthrough um, into the basin. Yeah. So yeah, it's fun to explore. Definitely has a huge sense of scale to it. Um, so it's fun when like you get to the tippy top, you just kind of, you know, go into first person mode and check out the surrounding area, and you know, like you climb to Everest or something. <laughs> I don't know, but that just like always felt like a like major accomplishment to me to like actually get all the way to the top of Oogie's Manor even though it's really not that much work yeah <laughs> I do think it's a shame that Oogie's Manor disappears after you finish the world mm-hmm. I would love to explore more yeah it's just a really fun space they definitely could have done more with it but eh, I guess they do kind of well, and we'll talk about it in a little bit but they do kind of make the boss fight kind of that same vibe of like having to jump around to mm-hmm. get to a bunch of different spots so yeah you keep on making your way toward the top, and then ah, uh, there's that really great shot of the lone gargoyle perched in the tree with the moon behind it. It's just ah, uh, so good. I think that's the only time you see anything like that in the first game. Um, I, w- I would equate it a little bit to I think when we go through the graveyard after we've unlocked the knights and the gargoyles, there are some white knights that are frozen. 
yes the tombstones very very similar vibe yeah totally the the gargoyles just they're all about the theatrics Mm -hmm. which i can get behind but yeah shortly after that guy is the evil playroom which is where you'll fight uh luck shock and berit the hardest boss fight in all the land yeah it can it can mess you up if you don't know what you're doing it's actually uh, true but yeah I definitely cheesed this fight, so... How did you cheese it? Because I had so many cheers in my back pocket, I figured, oh, I'll use a summon, so... <laughs> Just... I have to apologize for dissing Dumbo last episode. Uh-huh. I said he was kind of useless because his meter goes down so fast. But, um, no, I pretty much beat this entire fight, like, instantly using Dumbo. <laughs> Just you Just give these kids a bath. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Ah, it burns! <laughs> so I took out uh, Lock and Shock. Yeah, just with Dumbo. Mm-hmm. And Barrel I didn't get because he has kind of homing attack where he rolls around. So he gets too close to you yeah. for you to actually hit. But um, once the other two are down, he's pretty easy to take care of. Like just, I think I might have used some strike raids on him or just regular combos or magic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was over in like less than a minute. And I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's also actually the preferred way. I really like the... I mean, it's. I would I would say it's a hidden mechanic because it never shows up again. But the order you defeat the kids uh, matters in terms of how much EXP you get from them. And it's super funky, and I like it, but it, I'm uh, 90% sure it only appears here. I also could be wrong. Where uh, the first kid you defeat gives you... A portion of their total exp the second one gives you a, another fraction but the third one will give you all the exp they are worth so are they are they worth different exp yes uh that reminds me um i took a peek at atlantica for halloween town to get some synthesis materials and i i checked out the sheltering zones and yeah if you beat them like on their own they give you 20 exp but then, if you beat them and they split, they'll give you the 20 EXP, but then you also get the the EXP from the C-Neon. So, like, you do lose that experience if you just take out the sheltering zones in one shot. Yes, I think I, I think after we literally recorded I went back to Atlantica. Or I was already in Atlantica, I hadn't left to go to Halloween Town yet, and I did the same thing of, like, ooh. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta test this thing before I leave. Okay, uh, Lock will give you 180, Shock is 120... Barrel is 240. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm glad I saved him for last then. Exactly. So the first two kids, yeah, they give you a tenth of their EXP. And the last kid gives you their full EXP value. Oh, wow, I never noticed that. Yes. That I remember, good to know. I remember it because it was in my uh, my my Primo strategy guide, but the, the fable I don't guide. think... I think I either misread it or it might have said it in the opposite way. Like, you want to take mm-hmm. out Barrel, and then Shock, and then Law. Which is think of what I did by accident mm. this time around. But yeah, uh, the first two kids who go down give you at least less, a f- a literally a fraction, a little tenth of your XP. The last kid gives you the full. And because Barrel gives you 240, you probably want to take out Barrel last. Got it. So yeah, you beat these little tykes, and... Yeah, I just took a moment to bask in, in the, the ambience of the evil playroom, because... Yep, you're not going to see it again. <laughs> and yeah, I noticed a few little details. So they have like a little wagon and then right next to it is the 
the like iconic Tim Burton duck that shows up in a few of his movies, where it has like the really big eye and the like creepy teeth. Oh, yep. So that was a that, that was a cute little reference. But um, also, I like looked up at the chandelier, and it's actually kind of horrific. <laughs> oh. So it's just a bunch of bones, naturally, but like. <laughs> Not just like bone, like a dog bone, like actual like Human anatomical bones, bones of like you know femurs and arms and whatnot, and it was like giving me heavy Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes. <laughs> uh, and then I, oh boy. then I was looking around the room itself, and then there's like a bunch of masks on the walls, and then like odd stains, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> this just got way darker than I'm sure they intended. <laughs> um. I I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who knows what these kids do in yeah. their free time, and I do not want to know now. I don't remember what it looks like exactly in the movie, but I'd be curious if, like, that chandelier is, you know, pulled directly from it. Yeah. The one thing I remember from the movie exactly is their small room, the bathtub obviously lives there, and yep. they have the chute that goes... To Oogie Boogie's yep. uh, playroom. Yeah, that's, play rooms, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So speaking of Oogie's room, why don't we take that chute too and go on down? So you hit the lever and now the door's open. So make your way back down. A door unlocked somewhere. Oh boy, gee golly willikers, where could it be? <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty much boss after boss after boss now. Mm. So. A la end of Yeah, totally. So time for the Oogie Boogie fight. I always like this fight because I think it's a really clever way to show off his personality, but also kind of mimic the movie fight where it's just this giant roulette wheel. wheel exactly, of doom. yeah. Something I'd also completely forgotten about. And Oogie has a, like, yeah. a gambling aesthetic to him. Yeah, he can't really do much of himself, so it's a very indirect fight where... You have to wait until you can hit the button to raise the platform, and then you can get some hits off on them. And, mm-hmm. and you have to time your yeah. your platform raise correctly as well. Uh, we all know the frustration of stepping on the button, but then he just runs past oh, where it fences that off. That happened more than a few times. Did he laugh at you? <laughs> yep. Like, literally, he'll step, like, I'll step on the button, and I'm like, platform, rise up, now, fulfill my dreams! And Oki's like, but what if I took one more step and screw you. And I'm like, ah! ah. I would, and he literally laughs at you, and I'm like, I swear to God. It's funny, because you, yeah. you high jump, but you can't jump over the damn spikes. So, like, when you yep. raise a platform, it also raises, uh, like, spike yep. walls on the upper platform. So, mm-hmm. you can't jump over them, you can't maneuver around, the invisible walls say, uh-uh-uh, not today. Exactly. Yeah, I also cheesed this fight. So, I first used Dumbo, because... I always think that I can that you can hit Dumbo you can hit Oogie Boogie with Dumbo, but no, you can't. <laughs> so that was too MP wasted. Okay. But um yeah, I took him I did two like normal combos, just you know, using the race platform, but then on like the third chunk of his health, uh I summoned GD and GD can hit him ah. even when you're in like the pit. Yes, which is like huge. So That's you do have to know. position yourself correctly, like you have to like kind of be as far out, like kind of like you have to be like ninety degrees away from him, mm-hmm. sort of, so that like there's enough room to like clear the uh, the upper platform with genie spells. Okay, but um, yeah, he'll hit him and he'll do a lot of damage, and yeah, that's how I finished him off. And I was like, all right, dang, sold. 
So I'm I'm getting a lot of mileage on summons on this playthrough, which is pretty exciting. Cause... I was about to say the exact opposite of what the, this playthrough kind of started off as. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did use genie. This is my old. This is my iconic genie memory uh, for KH1. Is I used him a lot, and I used him once once or twice this playthrough of running up, getting up to the evil playroom, uh, just not wanting to risk. Well, there is, there were oh, yeah. sections with Good a call. bunch of white knights, and also just carrying genie with you. And then being able to go to the areas where there's gargoyles hanging out, and just like, no, thank you. Yeah. I, don't, I don't. I just don't want to deal with that right now. And just, just genie blast them into oblivion. Yeah, totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yep, beat oogie boogie. Exactly. Um, just a big, big old bag of bugs. Wait, well, well, I should say a big bag of bugs with a heart now, because that's the whole shtick oh, of yeah, the, the plot. Is oogie can't control the heartless because he literally has no heart. But he does still manage to summon two Heartless, which it's interesting that it seemed to have worked at all. Yeah, two. But also, count two. it would imply that, you know, he doesn't have the ability to control Heartless, unlike Jafar and Maleficent. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, Oogie Boogie is definitely the uh, the slacker on the team group project for the League of Villains. Like, he's, yeah. he's just over here on his phone. He's not really contributing. He's the comic <laughs> relief of the group, yeah. The person who does literally the least amount. Yeah, like, he doesn't really have any ambition of his own. He just sees, oh, Jack's doing this thing. I'll just steal whatever he's doing and call it a day. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you beat him. And I was really excited because I got an MP boost when I leveled up. I think I got two in this world, actually, which oh, is wow. kind of crazy. So my MP is pretty stacked right now, and yeah, I'm just one-shotting every Heartless with Thunder or Blizzard, so <laughs> having a real good time with it. But yeah, I guess we can go home now and and rest. It's it's finally over. Everything's finally over. Nothing is ever going to jump out at you ever again. But wait, what's this? Earthquake! Whoa! So, somehow if you... Power of Darkness shenanigans, Oogie Boogie is fused with his manner. <laughs> yup. And this is his second form for some reason. <laughs> for, for some reason. I'm not... I I was When I go back to the movie, I was like, okay, there maybe there's... So our regu- nope. our first Oogie fight ends <laughs> in how he, he traditionally dies, which tends to kind of track with most of these KH1 worlds. Yes. Or tends to be the first appearance of a world in the game where yep. you unravel Oogie uh, and then someone stamps on the final bug. Also, is Oogie just a singular bug? That's like the hive mind of all the bugs that he eats. <laughs> That's a good question. My bugs! My bugs! Yeah. Well, and this is Halloween. His line is something about I and the shadow of the moon at night. So maybe you can imply he's some sort of other entity. Could be. But it's a good question. Interesting. But yeah, I'm not sure if this is a side effect of the bad heart that he ate. Yeah. <laughs> Some people get gas, people fucking fuse at their house. It depends on the time of day. <laughs> yeah, let's let's go with that. But yeah, Oogie's Manor, which is less boss than platforming challenge, which, you know, I'll give it credit. Again, it's something different. Exactly. Yeah, this this can definitely be an annoying fight. Because uh, everyone likes to poo-poo all over Kingdom Hearts 1 platforming. Yeah, for me it depends on which area. But I will say I think this is 
one of my favorite boss fights, maybe not in terms of design Ooh. or execution, but in terms of just straight-up enjoyment, I do like this. And to me, I mean, hello, welcome to me. Uh, the ones that are different but not, a, but not uh, a drag, I think, are some of my favorites. So the fact that you have to indirect, indirectly kill Oogie by platforming to the seven or six orbs of darkness and bash them in, I think is, is really interesting. Basically, while the manor is yeah. trying to attack you with Heartless and by its own means, I, I, I really do enjoy this. It can be definitely annoying. I mean, it, it's the thing we've been dealing with all throughout Oogie's manor of potentially falling off the side. Mm-hmm. But it, it's yeah, definitely. in boss fight form. Yeah, it's kind of like a double dare obstacle course. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's a fun way to cap off the world, for sure. So, I, I agree with you. It's it's fun if you know what you're doing. But yeah, if you keep falling, if you keep getting hit by stuff, it's it'll definitely drag. Um, so, similar strategy to the lion head. Uh, one approach to this fight is basically whittling down all the purple pimples to like 1 HP, basically. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to the one at the top, that's when you start picking them off. Because when you take out like 3 or 4 in... Oogie Boogie goes aggro and he has more powerful attacks. So, like, you want to minimize the amount of time he spends ah, on that form. Interesting. So, yeah. You go up and then you work your way back and take off, take out all the orbs as you make your way down to kind of minimize the effects. Because I think he starts shooting fire more and then mm-hmm. uh, gargoyles start appearing more. So, yes, it can be a stressful time. Definitely. Because I had popped a few pimples and then I kind of stayed at the bottom of the basin. Well, there's the one... There is no, like perfectly natural path to hit all of them at the same time some of the bottom ones you have to go out of your way to hit this one backtrack hit the other one take a different route to get to the third one kind of this type of deal so i think once i popped all the bottom ones i kind of hung out in the like on the ground floor level um i think i'd fallen down and like i gotta do another one but then the gargoyles start to spawn and i was like okay let me take care of the gargoyles and also i want to see what their spawn rate is basically and they are essentially, mm-hmm. and this may be an effect of getting to the three or four, uh, the mid of the boss, literally an unrelentless amount of heartless coming at you. Yeah, so don't don't bother taking them out, because, yep, you won't get anywhere with that. Mm-hmm. One thing I forgot about is he has a poison attack, where he just spews a bunch of spores from his mouth. Yep, he does. That put me in some, some dicey spots a few times. But yeah, other than that, just keep moving. You should be fine in this fight. Um, and, you know, it never hurts to slap on an arrow. I'm just saying. <laughs> Especially when a lot of this fight is going to be you just platforming and not wanting... I mean, you are on the... Mo- I will say you're on a mobile defensive this entire match. Because it's just zippity yeah. zop zop from A to B to C to D to etc. etc. Exactly. Uh, so another little fun detail about this fight is you can totally just nope it and just immediately leave and exit the room and you're free to go. What? <laughs> you can? Yeah, like you start off at the bridge and you can totally just turn around and exit oh, and just leave him hanging. <laughs> and then I, I like just imagining him just in that form forever and just like, what have I done? <laughs> so, so wait, 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 if you nope it, 
do, uh, do you like? Can you go back to town? Do you come back and the boss fight's still here, or is it just gone? So I only went as far as just the bridge, and then I turned around again. But yeah, I can imagine like you could just leave the world and just continue the rest of the game and just. <laughs> no, nope, I don't need you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he'll totally just still be there waiting for you. I mean, he's got nothing else to do. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you'll beat him, and you get the keyhole, which is a pretty fun animation where. He, like, shoots the moon to reflect his keyblade power on the giant keyhole on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's different. It's nice. And, yeah, that is world. So we go back to the lab, and Jack's so sorry, Sally. Why didn't I listen to you? And she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, why, why don't you listen to me? <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, we get the pumpkin head keyblade. So... I literally have this keyblade hanging on my wall. Well, actually, it's not on my wall right now, but it actually is in this very closet. I'm looking at it right now. And, yeah, it's definitely one of the better ones on Kingdom Hearts. That's for sure. I think so. I Like, the design is good. The functionality is also pretty good. Because yep. it is long like a Jungle King. has a reach. But I think it literally has an increased chance to crit. I think it says capable of dealing a string of critical blows. Yes. That. But yeah, no, this is like, you could totally just use this for the rest of the game, because it's a pretty solid Keyblade. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a simple design. It, it all just makes sense. So, like, the teeth is the bat, which is just a very nice touch, because the bat is just a nice shape. Mm. The uh, the guard is Jack's little bow tie. And then got a little pumpkin for the keychain. The one thing that stands out a little bit is Jack's face just randomly hanging out. <laughs> Hi! How's it going? Yeah. I'm a Jack Skeleton! <laughs> like, I almost wonder what it would look like if instead that was... if that was the pumpkin, and then if, like, the keychain was, like, a little spider. In fact, I might try to mock something up like that for my own personal mm. preference. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, this is... I think most people would say this is one of the better Keyblades in Kingdom Hearts 1, for sure. It's, uh, I mean... Take the Nightmare Before Christmas A++ aesthetic and then make a Keyblade out of it, just based off that design. And this is what it is, and it's golden. Yeah, totally. Like, it translates the movie into a Keyblade Mm -hmm. very well. Which, yeah, most of the Kingdom Hearts 1 Keyblades, like, the references aren't really apparent. Mm -hmm. They're not, like, as overt. And then Kingdom Hearts 2 is, like, the total opposite. Exactly. So this one is... (laughs) <laughs> this one is definitely in the middle of like okay i can definitely see what it's going for but it also stands on its own it's just just a solid weapon design so mwah. good it stuff is, it is chef's kiss so yeah that's pretty much the world and there's really not much reason to come back there's there's a white trinity and then there's a few chests that you need glide to get in halloween town square but mm. other than that there's you know there's the super heartless which is the main reason you'll come back but something i didn't actually know about oh yeah i think i i've encountered this in like on the web but have never encountered this super heartless when we come back to it in person so i think towards the end of this playthrough i will actively come back and try to find this thing it's probably the coolest one i would say from what i've seen it looks very interesting so yeah that's pretty much world Mm mm-hmm Oh, uh, we get a gravity, you either get gravity or gravity upgrade for also beating Oogie's Manor. Oh, yes, good call. Although, 
to be honest, I don't think I've used gravity once this playthrough. <laughs> I've used it a few times just because I'm like, eh, I'm also gravity here. I tend to gravity the fung the black fungi because gravity deals a percentile. Okay. But I yeah. also have never looked up the elemental resistance of a black fungus, so I could be just True. use effect I could be just using MP ineffectively, so who knows at this point. So yeah, it's a very straightforward world. I definitely like the vibe. I I really like the story. And how it basically is just an original Nightmare Before Christmas plot. Um, but one thing that's kind of a drag is, and I paid special notes to this this time, is mm-hmm. Sora, Donald, and Goofy have, like, no agency in this plot whatsoever. <laughs> like, Sora unlocks the heart, and then that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. He has he has two lines, like, two spoken lines in the cutscenes where I think he says what's this Heartless doing here when they're in the lab? And then afterwards, ah, uh, we lost them when they're chasing Lock, Shock, and Barrel. But other than that, he's silent. Yeah. And then Donald and Goofy have zero spoken lines. Woo! <laughs> so it's very much the Jack show. Not a whole lot of substance in terms of the main characters in this world. Yeah. I feel like when it's, when it's the movie being the movie, our characters are just kind of... Our original OCs who happen to be here, fanfic style. Mm-hmm. Still a fun time. Um, definitely appreciate it being here, that's for sure. So before we wrap up, um, I want to touch on a few little tidbits of other little catch-up-y things I did. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly with synthesis, but um, yeah, I did a few different stops to pick up some synthesis items. But then in between each stop, I visited Monstro to test out whether he'll appear or not. <laughs> and then... I I went to Monster three times, and all three times he did appear. So mm-hmm. I feel like they may have like patched it out so where he will always show up. But I will try it a few more times to keep reporting just to see if he ever doesn't show up. Yeah. Did you warp to Monster or did you normal fly past Monstro? I warped to him, which is, okay. you know, during my original playthroughs, that was... I mean, I would always warp to him, but even then, sometimes he would just not appear. Okay. So, I'm st- I'll keep testing it. I'm still at my uh, but, 100% monster rate. I don't think I've ever missed him so far, so. Yeah, I feel Street like. going, <laughs> I guess. And these remasters, yeah, I feel like he'll always show up. But yeah, other than that, I picked up some synthesis, and yeah, I think I'm at the point now where all the items I have left all require stone materials, which. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> So, don't know how much more progress I'll be making on that for the next few episodes, because I like to save the Uber Heartless pretty much until endgame, because you do need pretty good magic to, like, deal with them without pulling your hair out, so... <laughs> yeah, I think I'm not... If I encounter them naturally, I'll kind of mess around with them, like, mainly the pot... Uh... The pot scorpion. Then, yes. So, pot scorpion I dealt with just because I was in Agrabah and I could... But the rest of them, I'm just like, eh, I'll come back to you eventually. Yeah, totally. So stay tuned for that. Uh, later, we'll do, a, as we've alluded to before, we'll do like a world tour episode where we clean up all the extra bits. Exactly. But um, yeah, that's it for Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week, we will we'll be taking a bit of a swerve. Uh, normally, you go to Neverland next, but we are going to... Go to Hundred Agrowood, because you should have all the torn pages at this point. You do need 50 Dalmatians to get a torn page from them. Rescue those pups! Yeah, but you can... You 
you do have access to 50 Dalmatians at this point. Correct. So you might need to look yeah. up a guide to uh, to pick off any ones that you may not have. But yeah, you can definitely finish 100 Acre Wood at this point. So yeah, we'll be covering that in full. So grab your honey and your collection of bees. It's going to be a great time. A time will be had, we can say that much. I think this will be a very interesting episode. <laughs> So, yeah, that wraps it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, I like to lurk on the, the analytics for viewership and whatnot, and the numbers are looking pretty solid. So that's exciting to see. So, yeah, leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. You can also email us at khbhpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, link is always in the description. So remember, Halloween is always in your heart, <laughs> wherever you go. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, to the gummy ship and away. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.